0: Warning, this episode contains brain food that will lead to improved emotional and social intelligence. Ooh, 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 ooh. Hello and welcome to our new short format servings of consciously prepared brain food designed to improve your mental fitness. This is Lisa cypress in your host. For more than 12 years, we've been proudly and consistently crafting harvesting happiness and sharing it with you. Each week, we spotlight diverse thinkers and doers who are contemporary trendsetters and change agents devoting their lives to creating a better world in which to live. We invite you to listen up and change the way you think about human happiness. Our award-winning content is fresh, optimistic, and purpose-driven media that promotes well-being from the inside out. All righty then, let's dive in. This episode offers psychosocial education designed to inspire and motivate our listeners. The information provided does not constitute a therapeutic relationship nor a substitute for professional mental health care. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, call 911, go to your nearest emergency room, or for listeners in the United States, text 988 for the National Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. Thanks for joining me on today's show, where you will learn about the mind body connection to health and well being. My guest today is Mother Mindfulness, Dr. Ellen J. Langer. Dr. Ellen Langer is a professor of psychology at Harvard University. She is the recipient of four Distinguished Scientist Awards, a Guggenheim Fellowship, and the Liberty Science Genius Award. She has authored 12 books and hundreds of research articles. And her latest book is The Mindful Body. Dr. Langer, you are a friend of this show. We go back many, many years, and I am always happy to support any and everything that you do as Mother Mindfulness. Teach us. Teach us today.
1: Thank you, Lisa. It's nice to speak to you again.
0: So your latest book talks about the mind-body connection and Just how much influence we have over our own health and well being.
1: Yeah, I think that it's important to tell people the subtitle of the book, which says it all, which is Thinking Our Way to Chronic Health. It's not that we have a little control over our health. The argument is we have virtually almost complete control over our health and well being. And that the mind body unity idea is very simple. You know, people think there's a mind, there's a body, then you get to the problem of, well, how do you get this fuzzy thing called a thought in the mind to affect the body? I say, mind, body, these are just words. Let's put it back together. And if we put the mind and body back together, it's a single unit. As a single unit, wherever you put your mind, you're necessarily putting your body. That means every thought you have directly and indirectly, affects your health and well-being. We have many, many studies testing this idea where what we do is we put the uh, mind in strange places and then take the measurements from the body. And over and over again, we're getting uh, very exciting results.
0: Talk a little bit about the kinds of measurements you're taking. Are you talking about cortisol levels? What What are you talking about? Everything. Everything. It depends on the
1: study. So, if we talk about the very first test of the uh, mind body unity idea, this was the counterclockwise study. It's a famous study. How could she talk about her own study? as famous only because if you tune into. It's true. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. <laughs> but if you watch The Simpsons go to Havana, they talk about the study. So, that I borrow from them. But the idea was very simple. What we did was we took uh, elderly men to a retreat that had been retrofitted to 20 years earlier and had them live there as if they were their younger selves. So they saw uh, movies from the past, discussed politics of the past. The whole place uh, was sort of like a Hollywood set, uh, taking them back in time. For them, it was 20 years earlier. And as a result of this, uh, I mean, we took measures, um, all sorts of health measures, Psychological measures, physical measures, and so on. And what we found was in a period of time as short as a week, in fact, it might have been five days, forgive me for not remembering, that there was an improvement in people hearing, vision. Now, I've never heard of an 80, 90 year old's vision and hearing improving, especially without a medical intervention. Uh, their memory improved, their strength improved, um, and they looked noticeably younger by the end of the study. So uh, that's the first first study and lots of measures. Then uh, I can just go on if you want, or I can breathe and let you ask me a question.
0: Well, I love that you are talking about the study and two things come to mind. First is in terms of positive psychology interventions about recalling positive memory and emotion and the correlation between looking backwards to elevate happiness levels in the presence, present moments. Yeah.
1: yeah, but it's not, they weren't looking back. What we wanted them they to- They were living back. Exactly, yes. exactly. And, um, you know, that um, if you have people um, play the role of Einstein, you know, all of a sudden you're Einstein, you're probably going to do better with uh, solving math problems than you would as yourself. Uh, I'm fond of saying that- uh, I can't really carry a tune. My friends say, yes, I can, just not very far. But when I'm in the shower and I'm singing as if I'm Barbara Streisand or Maria Callis, all of a sudden I'm singing better. Of course, not equivalent to anybody who can really sing, but better. So that all of us have the capacity to do far more uh, than we realize. And when it comes to our health, um, it, this is especially true when we're given diagnoses that um, we have some uncontrollable disease, chronic disease. People take that to mean there's nothing we can do, and as we'll talk about eventually, now today, uh, there's much that we can do. Well, so I, it's the giving—it's the giving up that uh, hurts us. We can never prove that we can't do something. All we can do. Is prove that what we tried didn't work, but there's always more to try.
0: I want to just bring up a, a real life example of this. This past weekend, I had a guest, a, a friend of ours, came to stay with us. He's 73 years old. He was diagnosed with HIV when he was 40 years old, mm-hmm. and nobody could understand. He he was in recovery from uh, previous heroin use. He was also uh, he had hepatitis C and he got the HIV diagnosis. When he was 40, he was newly married. That was the other aspect. And nobody could understand why he took the diagnosis with a grain of salt because at that time, 33 years ago, that was a terrible diagnosis.
1: Yeah. I, I think that in general, people have to understand that all medical science, in fact, all science, no matter what the science, psychology, biology, doesn't matter, only gives us probabilities. That means that it's saying if we were to run the exact same study, which we can never do, it can never be exactly the same, we are likely to get these findings again. That's translated by people as absolute fact. So for example, um, uh, let me tell you a little story, something that happened to me that changed my life. I was at this horse event, and this man asked me, could I watch his horse because he was going to get his horse a hot dog? Well, I'm Harvard-Yale all the way through. Nobody knows better than I do that horses don't eat hot dogs. He came back with the hot dog and the horse ate it. And I loved it because, you know, why do we know that horses don't eat meat? Most horses don't eat meat. It probably depends on how much grain is mixed with how much meat, and so on, how hungry the horse is, so on and so forth. And all of those conditions are lost as soon as we find that this occurs for many people or many horses <laughs> under these circumstances. It becomes absolute fact. When you know something as absolutely true, you never think about it again. Now the problem is that uh, with your friend's diagnosis, he was smart enough. Um, I, I you know I described this in my new book, The Mindful Body hoping that everybody will become as smart as he to recognize that, well, maybe it's true, maybe it's not. Yeah. And then you go about living your life. And uh, to me, you know, I think that if one were given a diagnosis, somebody tells you, which they never should, um, let's say that you have six months to live, that and people then waste their time being miserably sad and depressed, and what have you, uh, that you might want to ask yourself, If that's all the time I have, how can I get as much living in as possible? You know, and so even if you accept the diagnosis and you take that attitude and you're living fully, what will happen is uh, that you're more likely to extend your life, no matter what illness you have. We have so many years of research showing that mindfulness, as we study it, um, is literally and
0: figuratively
1: enlivening.
0: Well, I want to just you know give sort of the 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 update of this guy. So he has this terrible diagnosis, and he goes about curing his Hep C. He then has Mm -hmm. cirrhosis of the liver, and he's told that he needs a liver transplant. Once he cures the Hep C, he gets the liver transplant. He is so robust and healthy and alive and vibrant. Like he is a a, a kind of a a, a medical miracle. And what he said was that he never let the the diagnosis, all of these diagnoses, really penetrate his consciousness. They were just facts.
1: Exactly. And so what I'm trying to put in people's heads is the realization that these diagnoses are maybes. Yes. They're not absolutes. Yes. And you respond differently to a maybe. Right? You know, that if you thought you couldn't do something, you wouldn't do it. If you thought, maybe I can't do it, but maybe I can, then you do it. I mean, a a maybe world is a very different place. And too many of us are brought up with these mindless absolutes. Uh, So that, um, you know, if we go back to the mind-body unity idea, where what we've done with many studies, I'll tell you one or two, just to give people an idea. Please do. We love love facts.
0: We love science. Okay. <laughs>
1: um, well, let me, you know, let me start with uh, one of the most recent ones, which is kind of fun. Um, my graduate student, Peter Ungle, and I did this where we in- inflict a minor wound. You know, that it'd be more dramatic if it were a major wound, except I don't want to wound people and the review board wouldn't let me even if I wanted to. But, uh, nevertheless, we give people a minor wound and they're in front of a clock. And unbeknownst to them, the clock is going twice as fast as real time, half as fast as real time or real time. And the question we're asking is, will this wound heal based on perceived time, which is the clock time, or real time? And the answer is perceived time. That if more time seems to you as if it's past, the wound heals faster. The amount of control we have is extraordinary. You know, we have, when you asked about measures before, we did a study, I did this study with uh, Allie Crum um, many years ago when she was at Harvard. And um, she was my student. We took chambermaids. And we, chambermaids, we asked them how much exercise they get. And interestingly, they don't think they get very much exercise because they see exercise is what you do afterward because that's what the surgeon general tells them and they're just too tired. And all we do is we take half of them and we teach them that their work is exercise. Very simple, that making a bed is like working on this machine at the gym and so on. So we take a ton of physical measures, psychological measures before we start. Now we have two groups, one who is aware that their work is exercise, the other group um, who is oblivious to this. Uh, We check afterwards, Are they working any differently? Not as far as we can see. Are they eating any differently? Not as far as we could tell. However, those who now saw their workers exercise lost weight. There was a change in waist to hip ratio, body mass index, and their blood pressure came down.
0: Wow. That is huge.
1: Yeah. Our our minds are um, extraordinary if only we thought to use them.
0: (laughs) well said. We're going to need to take a break. But before we do, I would love for you to give the Al- Ellen Langer definition of mindfulness, because so many of us uh, hear the word mindfulness. We think of meditation, contemplating our navels. And your definition is so beautifully
1: simple. Yeah, um Meditation is fine. Meditation isn't mindfulness. Meditation sets you up for post-meditative mindfulness. And it's a, a wonderful practice, but this is just something that's very different. All it is, is active noticing. So if you notice new things about the things you thought you knew, you see you didn't know it as well as you thought you did, then your attention naturally goes to it. Right. And this active noticing is the essence of engagement and as you're doing this act of noticing the neurons are firing and as i said it's literally we have a good deal of data and figuratively enlivening so it, it couldn't it couldn't be easier
0: let's take that pause now we're talking about the mindful body thinking our way to chronic health <laughs> i love this title to learn more about dr ellen langer please go to scholar.harvard.edu And on Instagram, you can find Ellen at Ellen J. Langer. Here comes the pause. We'll be right back. And that is a promise. Hang on just a minute here. Before we take that break, let's talk about how happiness comes from the inside out. And because great hair also begins in much the same way from the inside out, Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist recommended hair growth supplement that's clinically shown to improve visible thickness and strength. Did you know that approximately one in two women are or will be impacted by weakened or thinning hair? If you're among them like me, you're not alone. And there is a solution that you can trust to deliver great results. Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting the root causes of thinning from within. Stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism all through whole body health. In a clinical study, 86% of women experienced improved growth after six months of using Nutrifol women's hair growth supplements. Nutrifol has multiple formulas, including vegan, designed for women of all ages and life stages. Each physician-formulated product is made with natural, drug-free, medical-grade ingredients in consistent doses for reliable results that I have experienced firsthand. What I love most about Nutrafol's whole-body approach to health is that, in addition to thicker and stronger hair, the ingredients have stopped excessive shedding while helping improve my sleep, stress response, and those pesky menopause symptoms, including hot flashes. Who wouldn't want that? Are you tired of thinning hair? Nutrafol is here to help. Visit Nutrafol.com and take their hair wellness quiz for a personalized plan that targets better hair growth, through a whole body health approach. Join me and millions of others who are celebrating great hair days with Nutrafol. Take the first steps to visibly thicker, healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HARVESTING. Find out why over 4,000 hair care professionals recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L dot com promo code harvesting that's Nutrafol.com promo code harvesting now let's take that pause each day we have the intellectual freedom to be happy or the liberty to be miserable regardless of external circumstance if you or someone you know is struggling with mental health urge them to seek professional support because good psychological health is vital in achieving a satisfying life Visit HarvestingHappiness.com for psychosocial educational resources to boost emotional and social intelligence. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness, sharing is caring. Pay it forward by spreading the word to your tribe through social media. Find us at Harvesting Happiness on Facebook and me at Lisa Kamen on Twitter. We're back continuing the conversation with Mother Mindfulness, Dr. Ellen J. Langer. We're talking about the mind body connection to health and well being. Okay, Ellen, you described so perfectly the simplicity of the beautiful practice of mindfulness it's in the real practice. world. Huh? Right,
1: it's, not, it's not a practice, Lisa. She's I, correcting I, me. Go. Just, I, I apologize. <laughs> That's okay. It's just, I love it. <laughs> it's, it's important for people to know it's just a, a way of being. As soon as you accept, the pervasiveness of uncertainty. Everything is uncertain. Now, when you're being mindful, you're um, aware of this uncertainty. Being mindless, you're trapped thinking that you know. You can never know. And so if you, when you actively notice new things about the things you thought you knew and see you didn't know them, over time you come to see, well, everything is potentially new. Some people are scared by not knowing. And that's because they make a personal attribution. They say, I don't know. You may know. So therefore, I'll pretend. Um, but I'm freeing people in some sense to realize, I don't know. You don't know. Nobody can know because everything looks different from different perspectives different, and everything is always changing. So you want to make a universal attribution. Not knowing is good.
0: Not knowing and is very when good. You
1: no, know you don't. <laughs> When you know you don't know, then you pay attention. When you pay attention, you become aware of uh, benefits that you didn't even know existed. And you get to avoid pitfalls that you otherwise would become victimized by.
0: When I was a graduate student many moons ago and working on my thesis, I came into your office and my brain became on fire in a positive way because you were talking about living in two states. either mindfulness or mindlessness and there there was no real in between and that really stuck for me because it switched on my brain to focusing on life in a conscious way and and you brought up in our conversation i remember it very well and this is now going back many years when you are operating in a state of mindfulness you never have to say you're sorry because you're never doing things that would make you need to say you're sorry. Yeah, uh, let me unpack that
1: a little for people. I'm yeah, please do. But it.
0: it's nice to know that
1: I've influenced at least you. <laughs>
0: um,
1: the I guarantee makes, I'm not the only one. <laughs> behavior makes sense from the actor's perspective, or else the actor wouldn't have done it. So nobody wakes up in the morning and says, "You know, today I'm going to be selfish, mean, um, and behave stupidly." So when you see people behaving in these ways, when you're being judgmental, and you ask, well, from their perspective, what are they doing? So, Lisa, you may have no patience for me because I'm so gullible. That's because from my perspective, I'm trusting. I may find you irritable, irritating, um, because you're so damn inconsistent. That's because you're flexible. And it turns out every single negative description we have for somebody has an equal Really strong, but oppositely valenced alternative, and you know you can see how how easily this repairs all sorts of relationships. You know that if I think you're um, inconsistent rather than flexible, I'm going to try to get you to change. I'm going to be annoyed all the time when I see you're being flexible. Now I respect you for that. When you see me as being trusting, you you wouldn't want your friend to be uh, untrust, you know, distrusting. Um, so life becomes very different. In fact, when you asked before, what are the consequences of this being mindful? It's extraordinary. You know, I've been doing this for over 40 years. So there's been an opportunity to test many, many measures. And what we find is, as we've already said, when you're being mindful, the neurons are firing, the body lights up. It's literally and figuratively enlivening because you're there and people see that, you know. Uh, and people are drawn to it. And you're more attractive to people. People also see you as more authentic and trustworthy. You know, that if I believe that you're seeing who I am, not some uh, fiction of me, um, then I feel safe with you. And so when you're seeing me, let's say, as trusting rather than as gullible, I feel that in my relationship goes forward. So people who are mindful are seen as charismatic, authentic, trustworthy. It's good for our health. As I said before, it's the essence of engagement. Not only that, we have a lot of data that I reported in previous books where when you produce things mindfully, they're actually more appreciated by people than when they're mindlessly produced. We have symphony orchestras who we have being mindful when they're playing. That means noticing slightly new things in the composition and what they're doing with their instruments versus just replicating a past performance. We tape it, we play it for people who um, know nothing about the study. Overwhelmingly, they prefer the mindfully played piece. So given it's good for you socially, personally, um, health-wise, um, in every way, and it's so easy. It, it doesn't make sense to me why people wouldn't immediately um, uh, grab it and become more mindful. Um, period.
0: Well, when we talk about the the connection between mind body unity and and improved well being and health outcomes, even I would love we're, we're nearly mm-hmm. out of time. So I would, would love to circle back to that because I think this is a, an important way that we can take responsibility for our health? Yeah.
1: Simple. Um, Okay. One of the things that we have data and wonderful studies by other people showing that placebos may be our best medicine. And so for me, the question is, well, if you get better with a placebo, if it's not the placebo that's making you better, obviously you're making yourself better. So how can I help people? How can we do this more directly? And so we developed what uh, we call um, um, attention to variability treatment. Now, attention to variability is just um, a fancy way of saying being mindful. But when people have, let's say, a chronic diagnosis, a, a diagnosis of a chronic disorder, they assume it's going to stay the same or get worse. Nothing moves in only one direction. Sometimes you're a little better. Sometimes you're a little worse. But people don't realize that. What we do is we call people periodically throughout the day um, and ask them about the symptom. Is it better or worse than before? And why? Now, three things happen when you do that. The first thing is that you see, gee, it's not always awful, as awful. uh, So you feel better. Second, by searching for why is it better or different now from before, you're being mindful. And as we've said, That's good for your health. And third, you're more likely to find a solution if you're looking for one. Now we've done this with big things, multiple sclerosis, stroke, Parkinson's, chronic pain, um, and so on. And in each case, there's a a great reduction in people's symptoms. So now you might say, well, I said you can do this without anybody's help, but we're calling people. It's very simple. Most people have a smartphone. Set your smartphone to ring in an hour. When it rings, ask yourself, well, gee, how do I feel now? Is it better or worse than before and why? <laughs> then set it for two hours and 10 minutes you know, and so on. And um, it's not easy, but uh, it suggests that, again, we have more control than we realize. And so all of the mind-body unity studies And uh, the work on um, attention to symptom variability uh, makes me very confident that uh, we need to sit up and start taking care of ourselves, which doesn't mean we shouldn't go to the doctors. Um, It just means that we should be more than passive recipients of medical
0: information. I love that. Would it be safe to say that wherever we focus our attention is where we will find ourselves? Sure, why not? (laughs) Because that's what I think about. And that's what I tell clients all day. It's like wherever you focus that attention is where where you're going to end up being right. You can be in sort of the the positive soup or the negative soup. The choice
1: becomes ours. Yes. What people need to realize is that the world is not divided into positive and negative, good or bad. These these are ideas that are in our heads. And so Uh, People think that, you know, I might say to you, you made me feel. Nobody makes us feel anything. And people need to understand that our emotions are choices. And how do you know it's a choice? Well, you see, everybody else who's been in that circumstance, not everybody gets as crazy as I did or you did and so on. Uh, So what are the other people doing? And to experience an emotion, you have to have an understanding of the situation. Now, if you have a mindless notion, this is awful, of course, you're going to feel bad. But if you open that up, um, you have the opportunity to to enjoy what may to others seem like uh, an oh my goodness experience.
0: Come back. Anytime you want to come back and hang out with me, Dr. Ellen Langer, please do so, because I love these conversations and I love distilling mindfulness and the practice of positive emotion down to basic elements so they're digestible usable and actionable and i'd love that's what i love about your work
1: thank you lisa it's always nice talking to you
0: yes to learn more about dr ellen j langer and her book the mindful body thinking our way to chronic health please google her she wants you to go out on the internet and be curious google her you'll find her all over the place thank you ellen thank you Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness today. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen on behalf of my guest, Dr. Ellen J. Langer, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Please go out and rock your day and remember to be kind to one another. Keep harvesting your own happiness anytime and anywhere from the comfort of wherever you are. Subscribe, listen, and share hundreds of downloadable episodes from our mental muscle toning libraries at HarvestingHappinessTalkRadio.com, Toginet.com, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To learn more about my global consulting services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and following me on Twitter at Lisa Kamen. Harvesting Happiness is produced by me, Lisa Cypress Kamen, Andrea Mengeli, Robin Boyd, Andrea Daly, and the awesome team at Podfly Productions, including Eric Begay, Kimberly Beck, and Alec Gus, in collaboration with TokiNet Radio, KBUU RadioMalibu.net, and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange.